Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the second Catholic Exchange podcast with me, your new host and editor, Kristen Van Uden. Today, I'm honored to have as a guest one of Sophia's most popular authors, Father Edward Looney. He joins us to discuss his new book with Sophia called How They Love Mary, 28 Life-Changing Stories of Devotion to Our Lady. And I have to say, this has been one of the favorite books for this spring and beyond. It's carried well throughout the summer. This is a title that I think is good for year round. And we're excited to have Father with us today. So welcome to the program. Well, thanks so much. I didn't realize I was a popular author or anything <laughs> like that. It was so fierce. That's great. I know that A Lenten Journey with Mother Mary was very popular. I see the numbers even on Amazon for sales, and uh, it's been pretty incredible to see the reception of that book. And I really hope How They Love Mary will have the same effect. Uh, This has been a passion book of mine. I wanted to write it for years. And so I was very happy to finally have the opportunity to see it come to a book. That's great. So I know we've discussed this in other settings before, but as you say, this book was a long-term project. So it was something that was percolating in the background. You've said that um, previously certain chapters you had maybe wanted to expand into full-length books or articles, but then you decided to land upon this 28-day devotional. Can you walk us through a little bit of the thought process behind the structure and organization of the book? Yeah, so the book really grew out of um, my own academic research. So it's not an academic book, but that was kind of where the seeds were planted. Just because I realized that I had written so much about different figures of Catholicism and their Marian devotion. That's one of the things I love doing. I love reading about the saints. I love uh, understanding what they loved. And that really came from a collect, an opening prayer for the mass on, I think it's August 10th. It's the feast of St. Lawrence. And it said, may we love what he loved. And I really took that line to heart. And I began asking myself, well, what did St. Lawrence love? Well, he loved the poor. That's his whole story of how he brought the poor before, you know, the Roman uh, government and he ended up being martyred. But What else did he love? Well, he loved the word of God. He was a deacon. Well, he loved the Eucharist. I'm sure he loved the Blessed Mother. I I didn't read anything about that. But but then I started using kind of that question, well, what did this saint love and how did they love then as kind of the guiding principle of different things that I would study? So when I would kind of want to write a, a paper for a conference or write something because someone was being beatified, I would say, well, how did they love Mary? Uh, One of the very first pieces I wrote uh, that is included in the book, it's been rewritten for a popular audience, but it was Solanus Casey. He was going to be beatified. I thought, well, this is a great opportunity for me to learn about him. Actually, my predecessor in my parish, uh, where I'm the pastor, was uh, a friend of Solanus Casey's. He was a Capuchin, this priest predecessor of mine. He lived with Solanus Casey, so he knew Solanus. And he really promoted devotion to Solanus Casey in the parish. And I thought, well, I need to learn more about him if my people have such a great devotion to him. And I learned so much about Solanus and I wrote that in the book and it's been so influential for me. One of the things that Solanus did was that he wrote, um, well, he, he recommended reading the mystical city of God and That was just uh, something that's really been life-changing for me. I decided to read it in gratitude for Father Solanus' intercession in my own life. 
uh, because he interceded for my mother. She was uh, a diabetic. I prayed that she never would have her leg amputated. And uh, she didn't. She passed away, but she never had to live her life as a full amputee without a leg. And that was something Solanus could kind of resonate with, in a sense, because he uh, he was in a hospital going to have his leg amputated one day. And that's why I chose him as my mother's intercessor. So I, I've gone long away from your question as I focused on one individual, but kind of the whole idea of the book was to simply look at what they loved and to how they loved Mary through their different devotions and everything like that. And so um, it also was meant to kind of be autobiographical, you could say, because each of the 28 people are individuals who have had some sort of impact on my life as saints or holy men and women. Uh, some people might say, well, why don't you have Saint so-and-so or, you know, why is my favorite Saint not in there? Well, it's not because I didn't like them. It's just they didn't have a major impact. And then I wanted to bring out some of the lesser known people as well. So people that I've encountered along the way that maybe you never would have heard of, like Father Lucas Etlin, who is a really great person for this for these years of Eucharistic revival. And then also, you know, like Mother Mary Francis or Sister Teresita Cavedo. You never would have heard of these people, but I read their works and they were truly life-changing. So that was kind of the story behind how all these people were selected. That's fascinating. And one, one of, that was one of the most interesting parts of the book to me is that not only are saints, some of these 28 people, of course, but also, as you said, these seemingly random, unknown people who nevertheless displayed great devotion to Mary in their lives and provide examples for us. And I really like how the title is not, it's not just they love Mary or that they love Mary as a fact, but in fact, how they love Mary. Because as you illustrate in this book, each person loves her in a different way and certain devotions will speak more to others than to some. And just as certain saints will reach out to certain people throughout their lives and others will have devotions to others. So it is such a personalized relationship as she is the mother individually to us all. And um, one, one lesson that I found interesting was number 17, the realness and relatability of Mary about Carol Houselander and how she uses her writing about Mary, especially as she came from a very sort of broken background to um, emphasize the love that our Lord has for each of us individually as individual people, not as a collective, but he would have died for each of us on our own if we were the only ones. And so how, I guess my next question would be, how do each of these stories point us to how to love Jesus? Because of course, that's what Mary always does is point us to her son. And what examples are there in each of these stories? Um, another one that comes to mind is Father Daniel Lord, Lesson 23, the use of imaginative prayer when receiving Holy Communion, how his devotion to Mary allowed him to develop his devotion to the real presence as well and to point back to Jesus. Yeah, definitely. So those are great points. And that's the end goal of all Marian devotion. It shouldn't take away from love of Jesus or distract from our devotion to the Lord himself, but Mary wants to bring us to Jesus. And so, you know, the rosary, of course, is kind of the quintessential way that this happens. It's like Mary telling us the story of Jesus's life. But talking about the two people you just mentioned, like Carol Houselander, one of the big things in her book, The Read of God, was 
about the advent of Christ and that Mary waited for Christ just as the Jewish people waited. So she was one of the people waiting for the Messiah. Then she waits nine months for the birth of Jesus after the announcement of the angel. Then she waits for that hour in which his passion is going to take place that she's been told about by Simeon and by others. And so for Mary, it's all about awaiting for what's going to happen really in Jesus's time. And then for Mary, it was waiting to see Jesus again. And uh, so I think that's one little thing, you know, we could say about Carol Houselander, how that relates to kind of a Christocentric uh, Marian devotion um, in terms of her writing. Yeah, Father Daniel Lord, he's one that kind of an interesting story of how I happened upon him. And he's become one of my priestly heroes. Uh, I'm a, a member, actually, I'm currently the president of the Mariological Society of America. And so uh, a few years ago, well, before the pandemic, so it must have been like 2018, I wanted to give a paper at a conference. And it was on Mary and the sacraments of initiation. So the Eucharist is a sacrament of initiation. I thought, well, I want to look at these prayers after communion you know, in the old hand missiles for for the uh, extraordinary form, there are a lot of prayers from St. Augustine or St. Bonaventure, St. Aquinas, etc. And I wondered like, well, what do they tell us about Mary? So I went to this theological library that I do my research at. I look at this bookshelf and I'm like, well, I want to see about these prayers. So I'm looking at all these old hand missiles but then I happen upon a book called Christ in Me. And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. What's this? This has to be something about the Eucharist. Christ in Me it comes to me in the Eucharist. But then I had this thought. I'm like, well, maybe it's about Mary, too, that Christ was in her. And sure enough, it was this book of Eucharistic Meditations, which inspired a different book of mine for Sophia called Meditations After Holy Communion. And I looked at the book and Sure enough, it's Father Daniel Lord. He had like 50 plus meditations that he he led religious sisters in after mass, like basically leading them in an imaginative prayer, a discursive prayer. And I looked in the table of contents and there were 12 different uh, meditations about Mary and the Eucharist, like receiving communion and imitation of Mary or with Mary or thinking about her first Holy Communion, her last Holy Communion, all of these different things that I never considered. So now, you know, as a priest, we're in this Eucharistic revival. For me, when I receive the Eucharist, I'm like, well, I'm thinking about John who celebrated the Mass and Mary attending that Mass and how she would have received the Eucharist and, and uh, how that was her having communion with Jesus uh, after his death and resurrection and ascension, that in these days of the church, this was the way that she could be close to her son that she loved so dearly until she would be united with him again uh, through her own assumption. So, uh, yeah, I think Father Daniel Lord's Marian devotion, especially with these Eucharistic meditations, points us precisely to the Eucharist, which is the source and summit of the faith, and then seeing how we can interplay Mary with our Eucharistic devotion. Definitely. And I love the image from that chapter of the triptych around centered around the life of St. John, where you describe seeing this, I think it was at Georgetown, where in the cathedral, um, the first stained glass window would depict, I think it was the Last Supper, and 
then the center is the foot of the cross where of course Jesus gives Mary to John as his mother and then after that the the traditional image which you point out isn't in scripture but is a tradition that John administered holy communion to Mary so she's always there <laughs> yeah definitely and it's a beautiful image and it's one that i happened upon uh long before that image at georgetown and actually uh i'm going this weekend and, and by the time this airs i'm sure i will have already been there uh to the rockford poor claire nuns okay. and um i had a friend enter that community and she's making her final profession it's been many years in the making this final profession i bet she's been temporarily professed 10 or 12 years. And, and so she's going to marry the Lord uh, through, through those, through these vows. Right. And so uh, I went to the monastery one time when I was in Rockford, I was driving through or whatever. And uh, I kind of the funny story. I, I rang the doorbell. I asked the sisters if I could go into their chapel and pray, told them I was a priest or whatever. And the religious sister, whoever it was, she said, well, Jesus would like that very much. And so I went into the chapel, I prayed there, and there was that image, and it's actually on my ordination holy card that of John giving communion to Mary. So it is such a, a beautiful and a tender image. And mm -hmm. um, Maria Vagarda in her mystical city of God uh, writes that after the resurrection that, you know, they that the apostles joined together to celebrate the Eucharist immediately, you know, and so um there, there is that reality that mary would have received holy communion and it's probably something we don't often think about mm -hmm. certainly right I, I really didn't often think about that beforehand and i love also the imagery of her carrying jesus in her womb as a perpetual communion and uh of course this is this would have been something that as as a full member of the church afterwards she obviously would have participated in so that one of those interesting tidbits in the book so with all of these interesting examples and just the, the many, many different devotions to Mary and different apparitions that Our Lady has appeared and had different messages for us, do you have a favorite Marian devotion or a favorite Marian apparition that you turn to more so than the others? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I have a big devotion to Our Lady of Lourdes, of course, and uh, I've been to Lourdes a, a number of times, maybe half a dozen times. Uh, I've served there as an auxiliary confessor, so lived there for a few weeks to hear confessions and whatnot. So very moving experience. And uh, I, I've just seen the power of Lourdes as well. Um, uh, in a Lenten journey with Mother Mary, I share a story about this young boy from my parish, who, who's now probably like a teenager, but uh, he, he, I was out in Boston for a conference and his father called me and to, asked me to pray for their son because he had put like a pitchfork through his foot. Mm. And basically the foot wasn't healing. It was all infected, whatever. So I, I told him, I said, well, just go to my house and get a bottle of Lourdes water. It's, you know, on my bookshelf in my office. And so um, so basically they went to their Catholic school and all the students gathered around the boy. They probably prayed a Hail Mary and they put that Lourdes water on that boy's foot and the foot began to heal and, uh, it wasn't healing. So, uh, that's one, you know, that story was heard by another boy who broke his growth plate and he, the boy was Lutheran actually. Uh, so he was playing baseball and, and broke his growth plate and, 
uh, he asked if Father Lunin could bless him with the the miraculous water. And so uh, I went and I did that. And the, the, the surgeon said that this boy needed surgery. And then he went back three weeks later and they said, well, you don't need surgery anymore. So I've seen it just yet, uh, just a few days ago, a lady that had a stroke from my parish. Uh, she wanted me to bless her with Lourdes water because she still had kind of a partial bleed on the brain. And so, of course, this doesn't replace the anointing of the sick, but it's just another aspect of, of sacramental devotion that we have. And so I've seen the power of it and, and the great comfort. Now, uh, one of the stories in the book is uh, Sister Adele Bryce, who's the visionary from Champion, Wisconsin. And um, I live 20 minutes from that shrine. I'm one of the experts on the apparition. So, uh, of course, Champion holds a special place in my heart uh, just because of all the work that I've done kind of to understand it theologically and what it means for the church today. And it's a very powerful story about Our Lady appearing to a Belgian immigrant asking her to pray for the conversion of sinners by offering her Holy Communion. So so that's a Eucharistic meditation. And then uh, to make a general confession, gather the children and teach them. It, it's a place of miracles preserved from a fire that burnt everything else except that property. Uh, and, and people still experience grace and miracles there today. So uh, that's another one that I say, I don't, you know, I, I can't just answer with one apparition. I, <laughs> uh, I love Borang too, which is a very simple Marian apparition from Belgium. Mm -hmm. uh, but I just really love the message and the story. And uh, I had the chance actually to meet one of the visionaries there, um, Gilbert Dejembre. And so, uh, and, and yeah, that's just a, another kind of, I, I resonate with this, the little story there. It's not as popular there's another apparition in Belgium called Benoît, which is kind of like a mini Lourdes. Our Lady actually looked like Our Lady of Lourdes. Uh, there's a spring of water that Our Lady said, I set this spring apart for the healing of the nations or whatever. So that's kind of a, you know, that's a very welcoming message that people can just cling to pretty readily. Whereas the, the Barang apparition is kind of like a Fatima message where it's, you know, you you have to pray, you have to be good, you know, I will convert sinners. So, so it's a bit harder for people to hear that message, I think. So, but I love Borang and its message. Fascinating. Yeah. For me, it's Our Lady of Victory has always been a favorite. She's behind me right there and I have my Lord's water right here. So I know it's impossible to choose just one and Our Lady always knows what's best for us. So the particular time and place she's appearing, that message is, is meant for those people and then is meant for us to those of us who even live far away to be able to internalize that and see the messages that she means to bring for the whole world um <clears throat> so the book concludes with a chapter called you have a story and of course all of us who are striving to live a good catholic life will have a devotion to our lady it's impossible to to not have some devotion to her she brings us to her son and so you you leave a couple of pages here for people to just begin writing their own reflections. Um, would you have any advice for discernment as to how Mary is exactly asking you particularly to love her? How do we discern which particular apparition or which devotion is something that should play a larger role in our life? Yeah, I think that you'll notice 
the efficaciousness of the devotion. And that's the thing with the 28 days is that at the end of or 28 lessons uh, is that there is the section, how to love Mary, like St. Teresita Cavedo or father Aloysius Schwartz. And uh, basically there's these little recommendations. Well, this is what they did. And so maybe you want to try it. So I think it's trial by error in a sense that you take out in devotion. You're like, well, this one doesn't really, this one isn't speaking to me. It's not moving me. I don't, and, and it's not about feeling, but I just think that there's, there's the right Marian devotion out there for you. I think the rosary is part and parcel, quintessential, should not be dismissed. Like the rosary should be a part of our lives. It was the request of our lady, pray the rosary every day for peace in the world. And when you, when I pray the rosary, I know that I experience greater peace in my heart and my mind and my soul. So it's not just this peace, you know, that we pray for world peace, but I think that there's interior peace uh, that comes from praying the rosary. So uh, I think that you just try and see which devotions uh, speak to you and, you know, don't, don't have 10 of them. I, I wouldn't advise that. I, I'd advise a handful. You know, and, and maybe you do you do one devotion at a particular moment in your life. Maybe you say, uh, on Fridays, I'm going to pray the seven sorrows of Our Lady, because that's something you're interested in. Or on Saturdays, this is what I'm going to do. Or it, it's, it's a matter of discernment, I think. And uh, everybody's Marian devotion is going to look different. And that's the whole thing with the 28 stories is that everybody loved Mary most, if not all of them prayed the rosary every day, but then they also wrote about her. They, uh, they exercised other forms of devotion. So, so it's a, just find the one that works for you. Yeah, that's great advice. It's similar to discernment with everything really. It's, it's a lifelong project of just, just figuring it out and being open to the graces that God is placing in your life at that particular moment. So, Father, what's next for you? Do you have any new books in the pipeline? What are you working on these days? Yeah, you know, I, uh, I'm i not actually writing anything. Like, I'm taking a little break. Uh, I, I have a few things. You know, I've been doing this year-long project from January 1st of 2022 to December 31st. Uh, in which I've been reading The Mystical City of God as a podcast. So that basically takes up an hour every day of my life to do because I read it and then I personally edit it. So um, that, but it's been spiritually efficacious. Like it's doing things for me. I don't know how to articulate it, but I know it's doing something good in my soul to read this spiritual reading. And that's another point is that for me right now, my Marian devotion beside the rosary is mm -hmm. this life of Jesus and Mary that Maria Vagrida wrote. Whereas next year, that's not going to be the focal point of my Marian devotion. I'm going to have something else. So, um, you know, kind of the other big project I'm working on right now is I took all these classes for a fancy church degree called an STL or a license in sacred theology. And, uh, I took all the classes, but I never wrote the thesis. So I'm actually going to write the thesis this, this, uh, the next six months. So, um, that's, really that's kind of the goal that. is to finish <laughs> that degree. So that's what I'm working on. That's great. Well, you're staying very busy. I see. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> well, thank you so much for joining us today. Could I ask you to lead us in a prayer to close? Sure. Happy to do so. Uh, in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy spirit. Amen. 
Almighty God, you sent your son Jesus to be born of the Blessed Virgin Mary. She raised him and cared for him, taught him, and then followed him all throughout her life and throughout his public ministry. She gathered around the apostles. She prayed with them and for them. John took her into his home. And so we pray that we might be able to take Mary into our homes, that we might live with her, that we might realize that she is our mother and that she wants to tell us the story of Jesus's life, that she wants us to know her son so that we can live with him forever in the kingdom of heaven. And so may each of us deepen our devotion to Our Lady, for in doing so, it will only lead us to Jesus and to love him more. And so may God's blessing come down upon each one of you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you again. The title is How They Love Mary by Catholic Exchange author and Sophia author, Father Edward Looney. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for tuning in, everyone, and we'll see you next time.